are in the thick of March Madness, and I'm crazy enough to talk about professional basketball trading cards. I'm glad you're crazy enough to listen. This is episode number three of the Wax Museum podcast, where I get to talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. I'm your host, Kyle, and today I want to talk about something that several listeners have already requested, and that's the recent LeBron James Silver Prism craze. I know I have a few listeners out there who might not know what Prism is, and to be honest, it's kind of complicated. It's both a set of shiny cards, but it's also a style of shiny card that's actually inserted into that set and then also into other sets as a parallel. And this style of card, it refracts light, hence the name Prism, and is commonly referred to as a silver prism, which is spelled with a Z instead of an S. Now, while these cards have been experiencing gradual growth for a while now, they saw a big bump last month, which would be February of 2019, um, as well as any cards that resembled them or any cards that were really an offshoot of this silver prism. But I want to talk about just mainly the LeBron silver prism, just that parallel specifically. Um, To really get an understanding of this, I want to look at the growth in price real quick from the last quarter of 2018 to now. And when I'm looking at pricing, there's really two different types of of sales that we have. We have um, what is considered raw, which is just the card by itself, no outside factors that determine its worth, just that card by itself in near mint or mint condition. And then also you have something that's called graded. For those of you that aren't into collecting cards or or maybe are just now getting into collecting cards, a graded card is one that you send off to a third-party authenticator and they will judge it based off of centering, based off of edges and corners, and based off of surface and give it a numerical grade from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest. Um, So I'm not going to talk about graded cards a whole lot right now. That's a whole nother ball game. Right now I want to just look at raw sales. And I also I should note that some of these prices could have been manipulated. It's not always easy to tell. I'm not always able to tell. Um, so I'm just going to go based off of the information that I have here. So if we look at the first year of Prism, which was 2012-2013, there's not a lot of information out there to even compare. Unfortunately, most of it is graded. Um, But even in 2018, there was a sale of a graded 9.5 card, BGS, that sold for $361. Well, now they're selling raw for anywhere between $700 and $900. So basically, um, I would suspect if that were graded, it would maybe be in the $1,500 range. That's just a guess. But we're looking at five to six times growth. 2013 and 2014... Um, We saw raw was $49. Now they're over $440. So you're basically looking at anywhere between eight to 10 times growth. 2014, 2015, um, you're looking at four times growth. And those were the three years that are probably the most scarce. 2015 to 16, you're looking at a a, um, three times growth, but just a smaller amount. It went from about $20 to $66. 2016-17, you're looking at going from $11 to $30, so once again, about three times growth. And then 2017 to 18, 
Um, they were $3 at one point. You're, you've seen them go anywhere between 15 and 30 So we're looking between 5 and 10 times. And then finally, the most recent release. Um, I know I personally passed on several of them at card shows for $5 a piece. Now they've stabilized in the $10 to $15 range. So the gist of it is that the more recent, higher printed ones have at least tripled in value. Okay, between the last quarter of last year and now. And some of the older ones are selling for as much as five to ten times what they used to not long ago. So we have to ask ourselves this question. How do we account for this jump in price that seemed to come out of nowhere? Well, at first, maybe we should just look at what LeBron has accomplished. Okay, what what all's happened in this time frame? Well, let's back up to the summer of 2018. And let's go from there. So he lost in the NBA Finals. He left the Cavs a mess with his departure. He joined the Lakers. Um, That team has struggled all year. He's been hurt. They're not going to make the playoffs. He's criticized his teammates. He himself has been blasted in the media. He's resting quite a bit now for what they call load management. And... um, So basically, it hasn't been a great year for LeBron. Now, statistically, he's doing okay, but it hasn't been a great year as far as PR goes. He did, however, pass Michael Jordan in scoring in early March, but the prison bump had already taken place. So that still begs the question, what's the reason for this bump? So in this episode, that's what I'd like to do is to first, I want to just give a quick history on Chrome basketball cards in general. And then I want to try and make some sense of this recent craze by addressing these possible reasons or theories. Um, so first off, if we go all the way back to the early 90s, there was a company called Signs and Glassworks. And um, I actually learned about this first a couple of years ago on a baseball card blog by a guy named Tanner. He's a Jose Canseco super collector, or he was at one point. And I believe the website's tanmanbaseballfan.com. So you want to check it out. He's a good writer. Um, Has a lot of interesting stuff there. So basically, this company called SGW, which stands for Signs and Glassworks, they developed this technology where they had a, a chrome laminate that they were going to place on trading cards. And they made some test samples. And first, they offered these test samples to Upper Deck. They were going to make a baseball set called Silver Sluggers. Well, Upper Deck decided to pass on this, so SGW then instead went to Tops, and the rest is history. You'll see if you look on the backs of a lot of the 1990s finest cards in the Chrome sets, you'll see SGW and a patent number. So that's that company, Signs and Glassworks. So Tops got into the Chrome basketball game, or at least the Chrome finish, with the its first release, 1993-94 Finest. It was the first basketball product that had chrome and had refractors. Um, at the time, Penny Hardaway was a big hit, but also Chris Webber refractors. Those were really big. They continued this. You had 94-95 with Grant Hill and Jason Kidd. Um, 95-96, they continued to make refractors. However, they didn't make them for rookies. So we don't have a Kevin Garnett refractor rookie, which a lot of people are bummed out about. Something else that's interesting about 95-96, it was the first year for basketball to include the little letter R on the back to denote that it was a refractor parallel. 
So 94-95 didn't have the R on the back, but it did debut a protective coating. So we saw little differences from year to year as they were kind of figuring this out. And then that leads into 1996-97, where Topps Chrome was the first Topps Chrome set. Um, and then we see the first Topps Chrome refractor. And this was anchored by um, Kobe Bryant rookies, Allen Iverson rookies. Actually, the whole class was pretty good, but those were two of the big names um, and are still two of the big names. And then Finest kept producing cards as well. Topps kept producing cards under the Finest brand which was the first to have a gold and silver refractors. Um, at the time, Kobe and Jordan Golds were big pulls. So Topps continued to create these refractor cards, these chrome and refractor cards, um, through the 90s and into the 2000s. And we see that they switched up the parallels a little bit in the 2000s. Um, in 2001, we had our first black refractors, which were numbered to 50. Those were actually a pretty tough pull. Um, we had 2002, we saw white refractors and then 2003, which was LeBron's rookie season. Of course, we saw an unnumbered base refractor, a black refractor numbered to 500 and a gold refractor numbered to 50. Um, well, the gold was a new addition. Topps Chrome never really had a crazy amount of parallels like we see in prison today. Now, for the sake of time, let's skip forward to the final year of Topps Chrome basketball which was not a standalone set like all of the other ones. I discussed this in my first episode, but 2009-2010 um, Topps Chrome was inserted in regular Topps boxes in order to get the product out before Topps NBA license ran out. So there was a very limited print run. Um, you had your Super Fractor Parallels, which was serial numbered one out of one. You had your Gold Refractors, which were numbered to 50 your regular refractors, your base refractors, which were numbered to 500, and then your just the base cards in general, the chrome cards, were numbered to 999. So that was the end of Topps Chrome as we know it as far as basketball goes. At this point, we've run into Panini's exclusive license, and they actually held off a little bit before jumping into the chrome game. Um, as I go into this next section, I'm going to refer to several legal battles that we see regarding the Chrome name. And if you're interested in that, you should look up a guy named Paul Lesko. He wrote a series of really good articles about all of these situations for Cardboard Connection. Also look him up on Twitter. Anytime there's any type of lawsuit involving trading cards, he typically follows the news and tweets out news about it. And it's actually pretty interesting. So his name was Paul Lesko, L-E-S-K-O. So it looked like Panini was slated to have some chrome autographs in a 2011 baseball release called Panini Limited. At the time, or around that time, they filed two trademark applications, one for the word chromium, another for Panini chromium. As you can imagine, Topps wasn't having this. So in May 2012, they filed their opposition because they felt that these names were too close to a brand that they had already established in Topps Chrome and Bowman Chrome. I don't blame them. Well, in late June of 2012, the two companies, they uh, filed for an extension because they were in discussions and eventually they settled in August, um, on August 17th. So basically the name Chromium was a no-go. Um, in retrospect though, this has caused a lot of people to suspect that Prism was originally going to be called Chromium. 
Well, instead, Panini jumped into the Chrome basketball game in late 2012 with the release of this new product called Prism. Um, I suspect they might have tried it sooner had it not been for the legal battles and also the NBA lockout the previous season, but that's just speculation on my part. Um, Now, one thing I, I should have mentioned earlier, they couldn't use the word refractor because that was trademarked by Tops. So even though even now we call them prism refractors, that's they're not really called refractors, and they shouldn't be called refractors, but it's just a bad habit. You'll probably hear me doing that as well. That term is actually trademarked by top still. So Panini now had a prism trademark, P-R-I-Z-M. Um, the, the name prism is very similar to the name refractor. The idea is that they're both refracting light. Pending at the patent office, um, in early and then in early 2013, Leaf attempted several legal actions against this new name, claiming it was too close to their phrase prismatic, which had an S in it. So everyone's trying to kind of jostle around with a, a similar name here. So there was a slew of minor legal battles, and eventually the two companies decided to make up and play nice. Personally, I think they just got tired of pouring money into all of these minor spats. Um, they were just kind of bleeding each other out. So... It would have been interesting, however, to see what would happen to first-year PRISM long-term had it been the only actual year of PRISM. Maybe SELECT would have taken off, which was a a product that also came out using Chrome technology in 2012. Who knows? But we still have the name PRISM, so that actually didn't happen. So since then, we've seen some minor changes with the line, um, for instance, collectors were calling these refractor-like parallels silver prisms, whereas Panini was just calling them prism prisms, which is very confusing. Panini finally embraced the term silver, and it became the official name for the parallels starting with the 2015-2016 release. Um, so there are a lot of details there that I just left out, but I wanted to give you a quick history of basketball cards that use the Chrome technology I feel like it's an important timeline to cover before we look at some possible causes for the current LeBron Silver Prism craze. So the first one that I want to look at, um, it's it's quick and it's relatively simple, but that's the visual appeal of the card. I, I've heard a lot of other collectors say that you should collect what you like, and I agree with this. If you're collecting something just because someone else sees value in it, then it's not going to have any value to you. Even if there is monetary value, at the end of the day, it's not going to mean anything to you. And it's kind of, you you lose the point of having a hobby. So when you see these prism cards, they really stick out visually. Um, Prisms and refractors as a whole. If you were to set a group of 50 cards on a table or just put a, a pile of cards on a table, and if there's a prism or a refractor in there, it's going to stick out. Um, When you open a pack of Prism, you can slowly fan the cards out, and any parallels should stick out like a sore thumb, whether you've collected refractors in the past or not. Uh, My wife has never collected cards, and the last couple of years we've opened Prism, and she really got the Prism bug this year, and that's one of her favorite parts, is seeing the different refractors and seeing how they stick out from the other cards. But she never collected in the past. For those who did collect in the past, however, that segues perfectly into another possible factor, which is nostalgia 
and new brand establishment. I'm going to lump those two things together. So people have always chased Topps Chrome Refractors because they were a hit in the product from day one in 1996. That was you know one of your chase cards. And collectors feel the desire to fill that void with an established brand that can forge a similar legacy. And the key, I know that was a mouthful there, but the key word there is established. In the 2016-2017 season, Panini released a couple of products that were very similar to Topps and Topps Chrome in Donruss and Donruss Optic. I say that they're similar because you had a, a basic base set with a border, and then you had a Chrome version of that exact same card come out later in the year. And that's what Topps and Topps Chrome did. And now we had the same thing with Donruss and Donruss Optic, and they had the borders and everything. Really, even from year one, it was a really good-looking set. Um, And while this set is still a popular set in its third season, Prism is already in year seven here, and collectors are hooked. So it's really already established itself as the Topps Chrome replacement, whether it's the best candidate for that or not. That's up for you to decide. Now, I feel like the fact that Prism was selected was also aided by the 2011 NBA lockout, which a lot of people don't talk about. Well, why was that important? Because of the 2011 lockout, we saw very few cards that season. Um, In fact, that was actually the reemergence of the Hoops brand that Panini purchased. Um, And then as a result, the next season, 2012 and 13, had a double rookie class for NBA products. Now, at the time, everyone thought this was great because, wow, you know, now you have two times the great rookies to choose from. It seemed like the few boxes that I broke, I got two times the second rounders. But anyway, this um, was very big for Prism because the brand was able to start strong with several key rookie cards and parallels to anchor it. You had a, you had basically the top rookies from two classes that were able to anchor it. That's a very big deal. Now, I feel like the Panini's uh, Prism's establishment as being the Topps Chrome replacement was reinforced a little bit later in 2016 and 2017 with the Ben Simmons Silver Prism craze. Um, He took this set to another level. I've seen a lot of people suggest that Carl Anthony Towns was in fact the card that propelled this set once again with the Silver Prisms, but those weren't really high from the start. They kind of fluctuated. You could still get those low for a little while, but it was the Ben Simmons craze, and there's a couple, there's really one main reason why. You can actually blame Upper Deck. Even though Upper Deck didn't have an NBA license, they had signed Ben Simmons to an exclusive contract where they had all his memorabilia cards and they had all of his autograph cards for that first season. So this presented a bit of a problem for collectors because here he was, the top rookie in the class. And everyone wanted a um, consensus, you know, number one card of him that they're all going to try and pursue. Now, typically, for a while now, that's been the National Treasures rookie patch auto or the RPA. Well, you can't really make a rookie patch auto if you only have a rookie, but you have no patches and no autos. So they didn't make that. So now collectors had to look to an established brand for a card that 
was rare enough that it was valuable, but also plentiful enough that people could get it. And that was the silver prism. It was the perfect candidate. So now this parallel in itself has been elevated to a new standard. And the best players then, understandably, are going to see a noticeable jump as well, rookie or not. And that's what happens. You have LeBron and Curry over time are seeing these jumps. Now, um, another effect that should definitely be looked at, and I think it's really one of the main ones, is scarcity. And while we don't know, Panini has never given us exact numbers for or print runs for these cards, we can at least guess, and we can be pretty close with our guesses, there's a couple of members on the blowout card forums that have estimated print runs based off of box breaks. Now, when I say that, they've literally looked at hundreds, if not thousands of box breaks. So kudos to them because they put in the hard work and here we are reaping the benefits. So um, they basically have have grouped it into the, the seven years of PRISM into three sections. You had the ultra rare silver parallels, which would be the first three years. So the estimate for 2012-2013 is between 1 and 200. More specifically, they're saying it's probably 180. The estimate for 2013-2014 is between 2 and 400. I've heard 350 a couple times. And the estimate for 2014-2015 is between 3 and 500. So when you look at it that way, that means that 2012 through 2014 likely all have lower print runs than the 2009 Topps Chrome Refractor, which was numbered to 500. Um, The next tier of scarcity would be the next couple of years, where it's believed that 2015-2016 was between 350 and 500 copies, and 2016-2017 was between 600 and 800 copies. Um, While that's a little bit of a jump from the first three years, that's still rare enough to where those could maintain some value, but they shouldn't see quite the value that the first three years have. And then finally, we get to the last two years, which seem to have been mass produced, and we don't have great estimates on those because they've they've split the odds in so many different ways. So 2017-2018, in hobby alone, there were 600. So retail's tough to account for because you have blasters, you have retail boxes, you have rack packs. So retail, they sold the cards in, in multiple different ways. So it, let's say even at, at bare minimum, if you said, okay, we're going to take that 600 total from hobby, multiply it by two or three you're going to still end up between 1200 and 1800 and I think that could possibly be on the low side. But it's still quite the jump from previous years. And then 2018-2019, we learned that Hobby by itself has 1140 So even, let's say if you just double that for retail. So you would be at almost 2300 which I actually think it's higher than that. I think the retail splits several ways. I would guess it's closer to 3,000. So you see a huge jump there. So when the prices for the older, the first three years, like we talked about at the start of the episode, are much higher, it could be driven mainly by scarcity. They're just hard to find. The next 
factor that I want to look at is history repeating itself in FOMO. FOMO is an acronym that you might see online or people will talk about, and it stands for the fear of missing out. So basically, all throughout this Panini era, Michael Jordan cards have continued to climb. You had his, even the graded base cards were going really high at one point, which a lot of people think that was manipulated. Um, Inserts have climbed up, memorabilia cards have climbed up. So all of these things are continuing to climb. He was the best player of his generation. It makes sense. Now, refractors got to the point where the average collector didn't have one. And I think people know that history repeats itself. And they jumped on the LeBron train as well with LeBron Topps Chrome refractors. It also helps that he's had refractors starting from his rookie season. So if you're in this position and you realize I'm already priced out of Michael Jordan stuff, I'm pretty much priced out of LeBron's Topps Chrome stuff, but I can still be a part of the prism craze every year. Over the last day or so, I've been messaging somebody that's kind of in this boat. It's a guy on the blowout forums, and his name is TJ Force. And he explained to me that he could trace this price trend line back to early 2016. And it was around this time that he started picking up one copy of each of LeBron's Topps Chrome Refractors. He never paid more than $20 for anything other than the rookie. Um, After LeBron won the title in Cleveland, they all shot up. About a year later, they peaked, and they've stayed relatively consistent ever since. Remember, we're just talking about Topps Chrome refractors right now. Around the same time, then, he started picking up silver prisms. And he remembers paying, of course, this was a long, this was a while ago. He remembers paying $10 for the 2012 and less than 10 for everything else. Um, so this was in early 2016. Um, he picked up the 15 and 16 years for about 2 to $3 a piece. So then last summer, it hit him. He basically said, well, I can see that the Topps Chrome Refractor spiked so much that prisms were next. And he was right. He told me that he paid around 5 to $10 for his 2015s and 2016s. He was never able to pick up a second 2014. So prices on those had already gone up. That's why we say he he was picking up on this trend. He picked up a 2013 for a steal at about $20, and then he also picked up another 2013 in a, in a lot for a pretty good price. So just by last summer's prices, we had seen an uptick in the early silvers. And on top of that, he couldn't find a 2012 for what he thought was a reasonable price. Um, according to the sales data that we've been able to find online, only one LeBron Silver sold in 2018, which I'm sure there were more, but that's all the information that we were able to find, him and I. Um, It was a BGS 9.5 that went for $361. So to quote him, these things were hard to find. Similar to this, and I don't know if this affected LeBron stuff all that much, but I'm going to throw it out there because I've seen somebody else mention it. This was before the 2017 NBA Finals. A collector pointed out that Tom Brady refractors had received a nice boost after Super Bowl 51. He and some other collectors projected another finals run for LeBron in 2017, which they were right about that. They decided to pick his stuff up ahead of time just in case he won another. He actually ended up losing, but in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter. They went up anyway. The final factor that I want to look at Um, deals with hype or a strategy that some people call pump and dump. 
So as with any valuable sports card, there seems to be a fair amount of manipulation involved in this whole craze. That's not to say that everything is manipulated, but there's definitely some of this there. Um, This takes place in several ways. So you have to think about it. If you're in the process of acquiring something and um, you're still, you don't quite have it yet, you probably don't want the general public to know about it because you don't want someone else to sabotage that deal. Now on the flip side of this, when you have something already and you talk about it time and time again, you can drum up interest. Um, You essentially help speak this value into existence. Now where does this happen now? There are collector forums on the internet like Blowout, and then also it's spread to social media. Sports card groups are very big on Facebook. Instagram is actually very big for sports cards now. So people will hype this up and then try and get rid of it at the new prices. That's called pump and dump. Um, Now, just because someone talks about something doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to hype it up. They could just legitimately really like something. Um, They could really believe in something enough to put their money behind it. It could be a combination of those things. Another thing that people will do to try and manipulate the pricing on eBay, um, it it can be done in several ways. Either they create a second account and bid their own item up. Um, They have a friend bid their item up. They send it to a consigner and then bid said item up. Or they find someone else that's selling a similar copy and they bid that one up. Um, Their goal, though, in that case, is to still manage to be outbid by someone who's willing to pay much higher than the going rate. And then once they've established that sale, then they feel like their card is now worth that as well, even though they manipulated it. So that's not to say that every card out there or every LeBron Silver is manipulated. You just have to be very careful. If you're bidding, be careful. Okay. Um, I feel like I could go on for a lot longer, but I want to try and keep it in this 25 to 30 minute time frame. So to wrap things up here, um, I've touched on visual appeal, nostalgia and brand establishment, scarcity, history repeating itself and FOMO, and product manipulation. Um, I would also like to point out the 2012-2013 double rookie class and the Ben Simmons silver surge itself. I don't think this whole LeBron craze can be attributed to just one of these factors, but I do think that all of them played at least a part in it, with some having a much bigger impact than others. Who knows what will happen with these cards in the future, though. Only time will tell. Let me know what you think on my Instagram, at Wax Museum Podcast. Check us out on iTunes and Google Play. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.